What is going on, everyone, and welcome into the second episode of Quick Nine presented by the Odds Breakers. On this week's episode, we have a very special guest, John Hasselbauer. You can find him on Twitter at PGA Tout and his weekly articles on thelines.com. John, thanks for joining me today and welcome to the show. Thanks for having thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Um, it's good to be back in the in the golf season. Yeah, it really is. It's uh it's like Christmas almost with the uh the Fortnite championship. Um <laughs> all right, I guess getting into things here. Uh usually I'm able to find a little bit about my guests beforehand. Um your website, PGA Tout, you've started in 2021, which we'll get to in a second here. Um the only real info here is you're from New Jersey here. I won't really dive it too much into your uh, personal background here, but I guess um you're going to give us a brief overview with your introduction to gambling, kind of how you got in it, and then more specifically, golf betting. Yeah, for sure. I, I think like a lot of people on Twitter, um, COVID kind of like sparked this, like taking gambling from this thing that you would like talk about with friends at work to like yep. more of like a livelihood thing where it's like, yeah. this is what I have to look forward to today. I was betting on like, you know, Russian soccer league and <laughs> ping pong, ping pong. And, yep, exactly. baseball, like just trying to keep myself occupied, keep myself sane. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I like to golf I just, you know, as a pastime. So I've always been drawn to golf. I, I played in high school. That's kind of where I stopped, um, competitively. But, uh, when golf was sort of, or the PGA tour was the first professional sport league to come back, uh, in June of 2020, I was like, you know what? I've, I've been, you know, keeping myself entertained with betting as it is. Um, I think the next logical step here is like make content out of it, start writing. Yeah. Um, and then kind of like using that as something to keep me accountable. So if I really like a bet, putting pen to paper and, and writing it and posting it so that people can see um my rationale behind why i like it and it kind of just like spiraled from there i wasn't really expecting to get any sort of twitter following out of that it was really meant just to be a, a point where i could kind of point my friends to and say like hey i just posted my picks this week check them out and you know it kind of took off from there which is which is nice and unexpected but um you know it's nice to to have the community of of golf around it and i've made so many friends outside of twitter just you know from having conversation talking about golf and getting out and playing together too so it's been a fun ride uh since getting into the content space yeah no i i completely agree with that point of covid too you definitely saw kind of an influx uh people kind of saying hey maybe i will kind of take this seriously here and kind of start to grow their uh, social media platform a personal brand and you had mentioned too i mean golf twitter is an interesting space it's uh <laughs> it's it's one of many interesting spaces on the internet but it is uh it's always entertaining to say the least here um so you started this website the pga tout.com in 2021 here twitter account started a year before that pretty much um i guess two-part question here did you have any kind of experience writing before this when you started posting articles or kind of what made you want to go to a website uh after you kind of started your twitter following yeah. Um, no, I did not have any experience writing and I definitely did not have any experience with like blogging or creating a yeah. website. So it was a lot of trial and error. Um, I got a lot of good feedback from Twitter of like <laughs> how to design the site and things about like short link URLs and all the coding stuff I had no idea yeah. about, but I kind of 
it was another thing that was just like, I was so bored in COVID that I just wanted a project where, you know, work from home was monotonous and, and days became nights and you didn't leave your, your living room. And I was like, if I log off from work and then I start writing an article, it'll feel like this cathartic separation of like, I'm taking my work hat off and I'm putting, you know, I'm moving on to my hat, my hobby now. So, yeah. um, and I, you know, I've always enjoyed, I'm not much of a reader, but I've enjoyed writing, um, just in like high school, college and, and all that. So, um, I've always been curious about like finding a medium to write with and, uh, it's nice that this worked out because I, I didn't like go to like journalism school or anything. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess the, the moral of it is like, if you, if you have the time and you have the interest and, and you're, you feel passionate about writing, like in today's day and age, you can create your own blog, use social media as a sort of a platform for it. And if, if it resonates with people, then it doesn't really matter what the domain name is so much as, uh, get it, as long as you're getting it in front of the right people. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, so I personally really enjoy kind of your articles each week here. I've noticed kind of the progression from when I started following you, which I think was around like a year ago, almost, um, that I saw on your Twitter, started reading your articles. Um, you have a unique format to your articles, uh, which I really enjoy. This year, last year, I think you've really started to dive into the course comps, which I find most people struggle with, really, because there's so many different angles kind of to it, I guess. Besides that, is there anything like kind of how do you come up with the format to your articles? And then in terms of kind of focusing on like course comps, or is anything else you really want to kind of dive into more, I guess, this year in terms of your format? Yeah, for sure. That's a good question, because when I had my own blog, I feel like it was so disjointed and it was just stream of consciousness and I was writing and each course, I, there's a different piece that I would want to spend more time on and comp courses are very relevant at some courses. They're not very relevant at all at others. Um, you know, like in Augusta, you don't really need comps. You just no. look at course history, uh, we like, or, you know, if it's a course that we haven't seen before, like an Olympia fields for the BMW, like you mentioned, um, then you need comp courses because you don't have anything else to really reference off of. So not, it's not the same every week. That's what I love about golf is it just keeps it fresh and no two weeks are the same. Every yeah. time you have a different course, there's a new reason to research, research it. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, it felt disjointed. And then I went to the lines and I kind of have a, an editing team now with me, which is awesome. So, um, I can write something, they can give feedback and say like, you know, the SEO optimized way to structure this is to lead here and use these key terms. So I've definitely taken that into account since I've had my blog just to make it searchable and kind of grow the footprint, not just through Twitter. Um, but yeah, I think in general, I, I tried to take a step back as often as I can and not just copy, paste and repeat, take feedback and, and finish the article and say like, if I was just, if I'd never heard of me before, I've never read one of my articles and I got this, this article in front of me, does it answer every question I needed to answer before I were to place a bet? Um, so I, I think of it from that perspective. And then I try to make sure if I'm you know, aware of the other content in the industry, it, is this a complimentary piece to it? Am I saying the same thing as everybody else? I kind of want to avoid doing that. So just making sure that the information is fresh, informative, and and hopefully as accurate as possible. Yeah, no, I think you do a great job. It's not just kind of copy and paste of the uh, GCSA fact sheet each week and then uh, kind of going from there. 
So another thing in your articles is you have you post a weekly model as well. Um, so I guess, do you mind kind of talking me through the trials and tribulations with kind of finalizing that? And then you'd mentioned before, you didn't really have any coding experience, I guess. So kind of what program is that model in? Do you mind just giving us a little background into that? Yeah. So I use fantasy national. Um, if you're familiar, I, I yeah. think there's fantasy national, there's Rick run good. There's, there's becoming a couple others, um, in the space, but I think fantasy That's national first. and Rick run good are probably the two yeah. most popular. Yeah. Um, very user friendly. So I definitely don't know how to code, but I know how to take what, <laughs> what's at my disposal in their dashboard it makes it super easy. But, um, I, I do think it, there's a big difference between how you use a model for DFS versus betting. Um, with DFS, you really need to make sure that you're differentiating your path to get to, to guys, um, because of ownership and everything. So yeah. if you just plug in the same generic stats, you're going to get the most popular players. If you use really uh, specific mixed modeling, you're going to land on players that not everybody else is going to. Um, so I think going back to the comp courses, that's, that's, I think an angle that I always take that feels a little bit more unique because it's a little bit more subjective. Not everybody's going to use the same comp courses every week, but I think there's a lot of value in them. So I'll always place a lot more weight on a comp course and trust my own research that based on what I know about the course, it should play a lot like these five to six courses too. Um, but from a betting standpoint, it, it's you can get away with being a little bit more basic with the model um, because you're really just trying to land yeah. on on the best plays. You're just trying to beat the book and, and nobody else. So um, I, I think other than that, I, I do definitely reference what I put into the model the year before for a given tournament because in theory, it shouldn't change too much. The players it spits out will, but what's important for that course um, should not change. And if I have a good week, at that tournament the year before i definitely try not to change it much yeah. if i have a poor week then i'll definitely revisit it try to look at the the leaderboard from the last few years try to pick up any consistencies with like or trends with the, the player profiles who yeah. played well who played poorly and could try to incorporate that um the following year so that i'm always kind of hopefully learning from from any mistakes that happened the year past yeah no i that totally makes sense here um all right so a little bit of personal question here i guess three-parter here your favorite major, pretty much the only two answers I've ever gotten was basically uh, the Masters or the Open. I've never heard someone come out and say kind of, I really love the, uh, the PGA. So <laughs> the your favorite major, your favorite tournament outside of major, and then the favorite course you've played personally. Um, I would say, I actually kind of want to say US Open. Okay. It's my favorite. It's always on Father's Day weekend. So I feel like I have a lot of memories of just being yeah. with family, like hanging around with all my my uncles and, and, and dad and family just watching it. Whereas the Masters is now it's on Easter, but it used to just be yeah. on like a random April. And I feel like from a just a betting standpoint, the US Open is pretty straightforward and like the type of player that needs to win there is usually a, a much shorter list of players who could conceivably win there so i think i've had more success betting on the us open than other majors which kind of makes me inherently like, like a little it, bit more like yeah that's fair <laughs> enough um but i mean the viewer experience you can't beat the masters you can the app is incredible yeah um everybody's watching it's front page of espn it's it's the biggest week in, in golf so i think that's that's the right answer but i guess my personal answer um would be the us open um second question is my favorite tournament that's not a major or my favorite course that's not tournament a that's not a 
I guess it could be coarse if you want to go coarse. I think, well, I think Sawgrass is my favorite yeah. course, which is kind of like, like a cheating answer because it's like the fifth major, <laughs> but um, I did get to play it in uh, 2021. Oh, wow. And that was amazing. So yeah. it's one of those things where like you've watched so many shots there that you know every single hole before you've even played yeah. it when you're seeing it for the first time. And there's like not that many courses I think that exist that I could say the same about. So, um, I would, I would say for both of those reasons, um, saw sawgrass or the players would be my favorite non major and then favorite course that I personally played. Um, I just played Oak Hill last month and that was phenomenal. <laughs> um, yeah. I didn't have a chance to go to the PGA championship. Um, so it was nice Rainy. to have a chance to actually yeah it, play it. it was yeah it was a fun tournament i was up there for <laughs> on friday and it was a blast yeah yeah okay. no um and it was pretty competitive too i feel like a, there were a lot of duds in the majors this year with runaways and stuff but um you know with that one it was like it was hovland and uh and brooks down the stretch so yeah that was a good tournament i oak hill is like the most top of mind i think sawgrass also would could be my answer for the question yeah too. that's fair um but oh and uh i played the ocean course at kiowa in uh in may and that was or in april that was that was great but it's so difficult that it's like borderline wasn't that enjoyable because it was just <laughs> kicking my ass the whole time that's like that's like the biases too with the, your favorite major. It's like oh, well, I won the most money on this, or well, both the courses are incredible, but I played better on this one, so I like this one a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, ideally, I I play well on it, and it's and it's a great course, and it has great history. But the the odds of me playing well on it aren't aren't in that course's favor. Yeah, that's totally fair. <laughs> um, so everyone's kind of got a different approach for. I guess tournament wise when it comes to betting here it, are you a guy that kind of goes through and prices out the people that uh are in the field that kind of field comes out and you're like all right well you should be maybe 12 to 1 10 to 1 and kind of go through the list here or do you look at the odds board first and kind of say well all right well i don't like the price on this one i'm going to kind of throw them out here or uh, i guess what's kind of the first thing you look at here in terms of when you start your weekly approach yeah if i'm really locked in and i have time to do like a full proper research of the tournament. I do like to kind of set my expectation of odds after I've done, after I've written the article, I've run the model, I've looked past on, on past years, gone through the leaderboards, looked at like where approach shots are coming from on a given course. Is it a place where ball striking or short game is more or less important? And once I've gotten all of that, done and put into the article and I take a step back, then I like to project out on like Sunday night, what I think the odds are going to be or what I think they should be. Uh, and then that kind of takes like the confirmation bias away. Um, if I do it the other way around where I wait to see yeah. the odds and then try to make a decision off of it. So I feel like that makes it really, it, it's so overwhelming when you're betting golf because you have 150 options at your disposal and you can talk yourself into half of them. Um, so for me, the easiest way to go about it is like, I think this guy should be capped at this number and whoever's the most drastically off, I'm going to start my card there. Um, there are certain weeks where I have a little bit more conviction on a guy's form and, um, of course history and course fit. And I, I'm anticipating that he's going to come at a discount because 
he's not doing well in an area that I don't think matters as much at, at a given course. Um, so in those weeks then I'll just start with a guy that I really want, um, uh, exposure to regardless of price and then kind of build around it, um, from there. But, uh, definitely no two weeks the same, uh, apart from just doing all the proper research on, on Saturday through Sunday morning, um, getting the article up and then taking a step back and, uh, getting prepared for where the odds are going to be. Yeah. So in terms of constructing your card, you've done the research, you've kind of done all the background info here. Are you a guy that starts with the kind of the outrights and then works his way down the board? Or do you kind of start with your placements, first round leaders? I know you release first round leaders as well as outrights. So kind of where do you start with in terms of analyzing each market? Yeah, I always start with outrights first and I'll usually fill my card on Monday. Um, And I always do the same constant exposure week over week. So I do three units to pay out three units total to pay out 24 units per, per outright bet. So eight to one ratio. If I hit one outright every eight weeks, I break even, which comes to about one outright every two months, which comes to about six outrights a year. So if I hit six outrights in a year, I know I've essentially broken even there's a little bit less tournaments this year with like a lighter fall. So six outrights probably is, is enough to turn a small profit. Um, that's always the goal I set for myself every, every year. Um, and then in terms of the other props, um, I always wait until Tuesday, Tuesday night. Um, I want to see weight like wave splits, take the weather into account for first round leader, especially make sure that there's not a distinct advantage in the first round of like wind or weather rain that's going to affect the morning or, or PM wave um more or less and then also for props i feel like like placement bets i, I typically don't do head-to-heads but I'll, I'll do like about three placement bets top 20s or top 40s um i feel like most books don't post everything until later in the day tuesday yeah um so i usually will have outrights done on monday and um late tuesday night i'll, I'll finish the car with first round leaders and placements yeah that makes sense are you i guess i won't ask what book in particular, but are you kind of, do you only use kind of one book for your placements? I know outright odds are kind of, you can compare against different books, but in terms of placements, I know the dead heat rules um, have kind of been a big topic of late, which doesn't make any sense because they've been around forever. Um, but is there kind of one book that you like to use in particular, I guess? Yeah, I think um, I know uh, Bet MGM yeah. has been the one that kind of does it, that will pay out in full. Um, if it chops it and I believe they're the only one still that does, I, I may be missing one, but, um, it, it's kind of like a subjective threshold of like, if it's, if somebody's plus 300 to top 20 on bed MGM and they're plus 400 on another book, do I take the better odds yeah. to get a chop? It's kind of like case by case. Sometimes I will, sometimes I won't. Um, but yes, I, I would say to anyone listening who doesn't really have, or wants to get into more of a structured approach. Uh, avoiding the dead heats is definitely more times than not worth um, taking on a little bit less juice with bet MGM um, just because you can really get caught with some like eight way ties where you like barely even get your money back on something that you would get paid out in full um, for MGM. But um, I, I think also that comes into play if I'm betting a top 10 that feels more likely to chop than a top 40. Yeah. 
Um, so if I'm betting a top 10, then I'm a lot more likely to place it on MGM than a top 40. Yeah. All it takes is one tournament and where the bet gets chopped. You're like, I'm not dealing with this again. That's pretty (laughs) much how it goes. It feels like, um, so outside of that kind of the dead heat rules, I mean, you see everyone kind of post their weekly cards on golf Twitter and you're wondering kind of how they're expecting return, I guess is kind of the main common mistake I noticed in terms of guys playing two at under 10 to one and three other guys on their card. And you're like, how, where's the profit basically? Um, so I guess, is there any kind of common mistake you see um, kind of first time golf betters make that really jumps out to you? Yeah, I, unit exposure is tough because if you're a first time golf better, you're probably not grinding every single week. Like, I guess an example would be like if if somebody came to me the week of the Masters and said, yeah. "Who should I bet?" I would almost recommend not betting, not tailing my card because my card is built for long term profitability, getting a piece of exposure, but not overexposing myself in a given week. Whereas I'll probably tell my my friend like a hey, Rom or Rory or Scheffler is probably going to win. So you could yeah. you could either bet one of those three. Uh, you bet all three of them. You could bet like them versus the field. Um, it, at the end of the day, it's like up to everybody's risk tolerance. So if you are just chasing a hundred to one winner, then golf is the best sport to bet because yeah. that happens pretty often. Um, if you want to bet, you know, you just want to double up your money. Uh, there are ways to do that in golf as well. I would recommend doing outrights to the point where you're bet you're having so much exposure that you're only going to like triple up um, if somebody wins outright. So unit exposure, I think if you want to get into golf betting and you want to be in it for the long haul, which is what I would recommend because if you're just sporadically betting every you know four tournaments a year, it's hard to be profitable. But if you stick to it, you pay attention, you learn the trends and everything is much easier to turn a profit uh, longer term. But if you're just getting into it, I would say definitely what we talked about with MGM, if you're going to bet placements, do it there, avoid the dead heats. Um, Try to stick to a consistent uh, units in units out exposure. That can be whatever you're, you're comfortable with your risk tolerance. Um, Even if you have like a five to one, uh, ratio that's going to be hard to sustain over the course of a full year. But if, if that's not really what, if you're in it for more entertainment, then, um, then you might find it to be more entertaining to sweat yeah. golf and have exposure to like Max Homa this week and <laughs> the third and fourth favorite. Yeah, no, that, uh, that definitely makes sense. Um, it's always funny kind of when the majors roll around and you see some cards like that and you're just like, well, this is kind of the first card, the first time I've seen you post golf picks all year. So I guess we're rolling <laughs> with it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's fine. I mean, don't if you're gonna bet every favorite, don't like tout yourself as the best golf better in the world because of how many winners you hit, because you're just not playing on the same scale as everybody else. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I think golf tour is pretty good about generally like staying in, in a similar threshold. Um, but yeah, you gotta you gotta watch out for the people who say they win every week because they bet every favorite every week. Yeah, they uh they certainly hold you accountable. Um, there's certainly a few policemen on golf Twitter, uh, when it comes to placing your card, uh, last question here, I guess kind of the golf industry is pretty tight knit as it is. There's only, there's only so many media outlets out there. Um, you write for kind of the lines, which is one of the larger sites as well. Any kind of advice for the, for people kind of breaking into the industry and kind of growing your personal brand of how kind of you did it from starting on Twitter to developing a fan base and then kind of writing for one of these major networks. Yeah, I would say 
Um, I mean, I'm primarily on Twitter and I guess our sort of golf Twitter bubble is primarily there. So I can't really speak to if people have had success on like TikTok or or yeah. Reels or Snap. I like you wouldn't on Snap. Maybe Reddit might have a community where, where you can find some success. But um, just speaking to my experience on Twitter, um, just being a part of the conversation, like if there are debates of like who should have been on the Ryder Cup team or, um, you know, you know, Bryson DeChambeau was, you know, you cut out oh, for a second there. Yeah, no, you're all good. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you're basically just... talking about Bryson. Yeah. You're okay. Like, yeah. So yeah, I think my internet might've went out for a second. It's like thunderstorming in, in Jersey city. right now. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, to, to go back to advice for first, for, um, people trying to get into the industry. Um, I think Twitter gives you the opportunity to engage with people who have a, a large uh, platform. Um, so if there's a debate about who should be on the Ryder Cup team or Bryson's being polarizing and, and you think he's great for the game and somebody else thinks he's not, jumping in those conversations, giving your opinion, commenting on posts, drop some memes, like get yourself noticed that way so that you're kind of getting your, your foot in the door. Um, if you're just trying to be a handicapper, like be, be right and show people when you're right. So if you hit a winner, just screen, like screenshotting it and showing or like being vocal about a pick before it happens, it hitting and then showing the screenshots. I, every time when I was trying to build my following, every time I hit an outright, I picked up another like 500 followers just because people are like, who knows what they're talking about. This guy just hit a winner. Yeah. I'm going to follow him and then maybe I'll, I'll learn how to hit a winner. Um, so that's a big part of it. And then I think just networking, like getting, you know, if you can get invited on, on a podcast, if you can start your own podcast and invite other people who have their own audiences. Um, the, the industry I think is very large, but very supportive and very open to, you know, talking about golf. So, um, I think that's probably the biggest credit I've had to whatever following I've, I've been able to pick up is just kind of becoming friends with people through Twitter, going on their podcasts, um, engaging on Twitter and then kind of just, you know, building up, building up a network that way. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great advice for sure. Um, well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, as always, people can follow you at PGA tout and Check out your weekly articles. I know you just posted one on the Fortnite Championship, so be sure to check that out. And uh, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much. Anytime. Appreciate it. Perfect.